This podcast is being brought to you by WXAV 88.3 FM and WXAV.com. WXAV, bringing the best podcasts to you. Hey, it's Radio Ruta, and here's my interview with Chris Connolly, musician, author, lead singer for Revolting Cox and Sons of the Silent Age. The interview took place recently in Oak Park. Also, a big thanks to my friend Dee Dee Perry, who submitted some great questions using this interview. Hi, this is Ruta. I'm with Chris Connolly right Hi now. Hi there. Uh, I'm going to start talking about the industrial accident, the untold story of Wax Tracks Records. Can you tell us what Wax Tracks fans can expect to see in this documentary? Um, I think it's a very uh, sympathetic, often hilarious look at the rise and fall of um, an independent label. Um, and you know, we could talk about uh, many independent labels from that era, like Sub Pop or um, Touch and Go. Uh, what made Wax Tracks unique was, uh, you know, obviously their brand, um, the way they reached out to a lot of European artists and brought them over to America. And I think it touches on, on that a lot in the film. A lot of people like myself who lived in Europe were suddenly offered this opportunity to come over to uh, the States and try it out. And often had uh, a lot more success here than they did back home, like I did. So the documentary premiered back in April, but when can fans expect to see it in theaters or streaming services? Do you know? That I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm in the film, but I didn't make it. And, uh, you know, making a film like this is such a... There are so many moving parts to it. There are so many people involved. And uh, it can be complicated. Uh, so I have no idea. But um, maybe before the end of this year. Well, I know you can see a clip on it on waxtracksfilms.com. Um, which Wax Tracks bands did you tour and record with? I was... Uh, my first band, the Finney Tribe, were signed to Wax Tracks, and then um, I joined the Revolting Cox. Um, and then everything after that was pretty much either my own solo records or... Um, collaborations. There was uh, PTP, there was Acid Horse, basically all these ministry offshoots. Um, when we would record, we'd record all the time. And I'm not talking about we go in every day of the week. I, meant, I mean, we went in for months at a time without leaving the studio. So we made a lot of music and not all of it was perhaps uh, um, specific to the Ministry Project or the Revolting Cox Project. So we just give it another name and release it because, you know, we liked it. It just wasn't necessarily what we were looking for for the Cox or Ministry. So a lot of these uh, side projects or collaborations are just that. They're Ministry outtakes. So for people who are unfamiliar with the Wax Track sound, I mean, how would you describe it compared to what's out there today? I mean, it had its own unique sound. <clears throat> Um, you know, I mean, I think, I think that the Wax Tracks sound was, uh, I mean, I don't think it was necessarily unique. I think there was a Wax Tracks sound like there was a factory record sound. There was, a, there was an aesthetic and there was a loose sound. Not everybody had to buy into that sound, but uh, it was a lot of programmed music, a lot of aggressive music. 
uh, a lot of danceable music with um, um, some very aggressive sounds incorporated, a lot of distortion. But, you know, I guess what I would say about it is within those restraints, it was very experimental. Uh, and as compared to what's going on these days, I really couldn't, couldn't say. I mean, I think that like most things like punk rock or like, you know, beat literature or anything like that, it's found its own niche in uh, what we look and listen to every day. So that kind of wax track sound, you know, you might, you might hear it being used in a club scene on TV. It's still out there. You might see it in a commercial for some hair product or, or something, you know. Right. Um, that's what happens with anything groundbreaking, you know. It eventually becomes part of uh, the, uh, the norm. Um, Wax Tracks Records used to be located on 2449 North Lincoln, probably one of my favorite record stores, um, a destination. Mm. If anything, for me and my friends, we're going to go to Wax Tracks. Um, used to love all the fancies on the sec second floor, too. I mean, do you miss that place? It was so unique. Oh, I certainly do. I mean, uh, it was uh, a real eye-opener for me when I first came here. seemed that in the UK, when I left the UK, that the record store was kind of... It was either on the decline or becoming more of a... Um, I don't know, a niche market. Um, dance music was on the rise in Britain when I left. But when I came to the US and uh, walked into the Wax Track store, there was still a lot of more experimental, independent records that were harder to find in the UK. But they were from the UK. It was, it was, kind, of, it was kind of strange, but I found that the, the selection and the vibe in that store was... Uh, kind of peerless it was amazing and spent all my money there yeah a lot of us did um so what lessons advice did you get from the wax tracks founders jim nash and uh danny flusher did they offer you any advice as a young musician they did not offer me watch that oh, <laughs> they did not offer me any advice just by being themselves they were uh you know they were like you know, in a way, de facto parents for me when I first came over here. I was very young, I was like 21, and uh, didn't know anything. But uh, I learned so much from them. Uh, I learned uh, about uh, collaboration. I learned about acceptance. Uh, I learned about questioning. Uh, and um, they encouraged us, all of us, to push our own boundaries in every aspect of our life um, but especially in music you know they would essentially foot the bill for any ridiculous experiment I wanted to try you know and that was a very rare and wonderful thing and not everybody has that opportunity and I'm very grateful that you know I could go to them with an idea and they would say sure try it out see what happens and they all they always would um, and they were like that with all the artists on the label. Um, and I think that taught me a lot about don't try and make hit singles. Who cares? You know, um, if you're going to use your art, use it well. Um, push your limits. 
um, try and see what you're capable of because it doesn't matter if you make a mistake mistakes are great you know I've made a lot of crappy records you know and I've made a lot of good records um, and I don't mind that I've maybe walked on some errant path for a long time before I ended up at the destination I was trying to get to in the first place you know you make these mistakes and it's just fine so you're going to be touring with uh, Revolting Cox uh, November 17th at the Metro. Um, you're going to be performing Big Sexy Land. What other band members will be touring with you? Well, there's me and uh, Paul Barker, uh, Richard23, Luke Van Acker, and uh, we have a drummer, Dan Brill, and um, Jason Novak, who I'm with in the band Cocksure, is playing guitar, keyboards, uh, all sorts of other things. He's kind of uh, the band leader. So, um, were you on that record, Big Sexy Land, or you were on Beer Not at all. Queers? Yeah, I mean, the, the, way, the way our show goes is we play Big Sexy Land, and then there's, the show's in two parts. There's a Big Sexy Land part, and then the second part, I come out and we do sort of everything after Big Sexy Land. Uh, okay. Um, so you guys got 12 dates so far. Do you think you'll be performing more shows or is that... Uh-uh. No, that's it? No, 12 is fine. <laughs> it's good enough. I mean, I love touring and everything yeah. like that. But, um, you know, we're all... We're not 20 anymore. We have uh, other commitments um, in our lives. And so 12 shows is, is plenty. Okay. Um, so what is currently going on with your other band, Sons of the Silent Age? Do you guys have plans to perform anytime soon? or? Um, yeah, we're going to be performing in the early fall. Uh, it's always uh, a strange dance because, you know, Sons of the Silent Age is a band made up of a bunch of people in other bands. So we're all in other bands. We all have families and commitments and jobs and stuff. So scheduling stuff is tricky. But we love doing it, and uh, so I'd, I'd say maybe in the early fall we'll start playing again. Cool. Um, also, you are on your Facebook page, you posted some demos for Jackie Town, so is this going to be a solo record coming out? Yeah, it is. Uh, I have uh, a few records coming out in the next year, the first of which is called Art and Gender. Um, that's going to come out uh, later, uh, early fall this year, and then... Um, the album that Jackie Town is from will come out the year after, uh, in early 2018 probably, and I have a couple of others. I've been, I've had a busy year. Good, that's great. Um, so the music industry is, I would think, has changed a lot since the Wax Tracks days. So what type of advice do you give to young musicians trying to get into the music business? Well, I'd say that door is pretty much closed or non-existent now. Forget about it. Forget about the music industry um, and focus on your own thing. You can very cheaply make your own records at home and you can very cheap, cheaply put them out there. Uh, if you're going to invite a middleman into the equation in the form of a record company, then you know, you're just asking for disappointment. They've never been very clever, the music industry. Nobody yeah. has ever been very smart and that's why it collapsed because it was run by a bunch of idiots. <laughs> and I mean, it really was. It was a bunch of yahoos who happened to, upon these amazing jobs. And then there's been periods of time in the music business where there was all this money. And so you know what happens when you give stupid people money. <laughs> um, and you know, a lot of bands were 
their careers were killed very early and uh, not only by the stupidity of the record companies but by their own misfortune or whatever it's hard to tour these days it's hard to get support for what you're doing and the way the music industry has become I mean I don't know what you're going to get out of it but you can be creative at home and you can uh, fashion your own aesthetic without being told what to do. One of my biggest problems with record companies in the past has always been where they try and suggest what you do. It's not that we're stubborn as artists, it's just, well, we wouldn't be doing it if we didn't know what we were doing, okay? Right. Don't tell me how to paint my painting. Sure. You know, I'll, I'll do it. And if you do it by yourself at home, no one's ever going to question you. Nobody's going to tell you what to do. And at the end of the day, you will love what you did. And if you don't, you can go back and change it. It's easy, you know. So I would say invest in yourself before you invest in uh, trying to find uh, some moron behind a desk. That's, I think that's great advice. Um, so what path led you to work here at the School of Rock? How did you end up here? Um, I, I think that it came about from uh, my own mistakes. I realized, you know, I was born with a good voice. I have a nice voice and I, I sing well, but I, I wasn't getting out of it what, what I could be getting out of it. So, uh, I started researching what I could do uh, to improve my singing voice and, you know, realized that I've been making records since the mid-80s uh, for a very long time and I've learned a lot about, you know, writing, singing, being in the studio, being economic with time. Uh, working with other people in a band I've done all that stuff I've toured I've done everything and without sounding pompous I thought maybe I could impart some knowledge to someone else and I mean I would never uh, pretend that I'm knowledgeable about a lot of things and I but I do think that I've learned the hard way about a lot of uh, a lot of paths you can take in music through touring, through recording that are maybe the wrong path or uh, my successes, you know. And by success, I don't mean record sales. I mean success as in finding a sound in the studio that's sure. really good, finding a quick way to sing vocal harmonies, uh, working with other people to come up with harmonies, just nuts and bolts, stuff like that, that's really useful to people. Sure. And so that's why I approach School of Rock about working more. That's great. I'm sure a lot of the students will appreciate that. <laughs> so my last question is, uh, so when you do find some time for yourself, what do you like to listen to like in the car at full volume? Um, What's your go-to music? Oh boy, I mean it changes. I have a really good music collection. Um, I like, uh, I listen to a lot of uh, old glam rock stuff I listened to when I was a kid. Uh, I listen to a lot of soul music, uh, you know, R&B. I listen to Curtis Mayfield, um, um, Rufus, uh, 
Yeah, I, I, I listen to a lot of, of, of soul music, I think, for the car. And that's actually, the car is pretty much the only place I listen to music. Yeah. Um, well, that's what I enjoy. I listen to a lot of German music, like can, craft work. It's good driving music, but, uh, you know, I like all, all kinds of music for sure. <clears throat> well, thanks so much for taking the time out oh, to talk welcome. to us at uh, WXAV Radio. Thank you very much for listening to this WXAV 88.3 FM podcast. Be sure to visit our website, wxav.com, for more information on your escape from Ordinary Radio.